Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and a regular guest, RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, Jordan, do you want to introduce yourself to the crowd here? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I, Jordan Gottschalk. Uh, I am uh, living here in sunny Florida, not exactly a uh, not exactly a, a winter sports haven. Um, uh, right now, it's uh, me and my wife and our, our one-year-old, uh, who was born during the middle of last season, uh, which made uh, getting up in the middle of uh, middle of the night both easier and difficult, more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and uh, fortunately now being a year old, uh, you know, less less having to walk away during the middle of during the middle of races because he's having a meltdown or something like that. But yeah, so it's uh, the three of us down here, uh, and along with our our extremely lazy husky. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest; I'm not exactly the most interesting person in the world. So hopefully, you find this podcast more interesting <laughs> than my biography. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my name is RJ. I live in Calgary with my family, uh, two kids, two boys, eight and 10. Um, I have followed biathlon probably for the last 25 years or so with some periods of less uh, time to do it. But uh, in the last couple of years, it's been quite intense. And um, yeah, really interested to uh and and excited to start this podcast and also started doing biathlon myself about a year ago so i'm still learning the ropes of course but um yeah really looking forward to this Uh, me as well so a question for you and you know this is uh just just so everybody's aware peek behind the curtain here uh rj and we've never met in person um we just met uh on on twitter really last season um and uh you know gotten to know each other just a little bit just through through online we you know connected with each other i think we've both been having a similar idea about getting this podcast going so um uh so sometimes you'll hear us talk about some things uh and we we are <laughs> learning things about each other in real time so um you know so uh sometimes the conversation might take a a little steer towards uh towards us uh, as well so i uh, hope hope you will bear with us and Maybe you even find it interesting, but I was going to ask you because you you mentioned you started following biathlon about twenty five years ago. Was there anything in particular that that drew you to it, or do you remember like a first uh, a first memory uh, with biathlon? Yeah, I I always associated because uh, I grew up in Holland, so it was the time time zone was definitely more advantaged than it is now because uh, now I have to get up, especially for the Olympics <laughs> coming up at uh, one thirty or two in the morning. Uh, but even for normal races, I still have to get up at four or five, sometimes six in the morning. So uh, when I lived there, I, I really enjoyed watching it just in the morning, you know, getting up, getting getting all settled down and then uh, watching the shows typically on the German television at the time and then later on on Eurosport. And um, I don't know, I just always find it found it fascinating how you can have so two two sports that are so opposite of each other and then combine it into one. Um, it's just always fascinated me. And uh, and like I said, having started biathlon myself a year ago, I just have even so much more respect for for those athletes and what they uh, what they do. And How about you yourself? Any... Oh, uh, good question. So uh, I um, uh, grew up watching the Winter Olympics. So um, 
it was just something that my parents, they, my parents are from, you know, Wisconsin, right? So winter sports was just something that they grew up with. So, um, honestly, one of my earliest memories is watching the, uh, the, the winter Olympics when I was, when I was real little. And, uh, I remember I would pretend to be, uh, different athletes. So I'd be, you know, uh, skating around in my socks, uh, around racing around the, around the house and, uh, watching the, uh, watching at night. I remember this is so, so silly of me, but, but I loved the flags. And so I would just, you know, color out and draw out the flags of all the different countries. And that was, um, you know, it just sort of became a, a thing, you know, every couple of years looking forward to the Olympics. And I think because, like I said, because my parents were from Wisconsin, they had that connection with the winter sports that sort of, right. uh, I, I was drawn more towards the, towards the winter Olympics, but I really, uh, honed in on biathlon actually in, uh, 2010 during the Vancouver games. Um, I ended up getting the flu during the first week of the game. So I was just home and laying How convenient. on the couch. It was, it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> some, some might have said that, uh, I planned my flu well. Um, <laughs> but in, you know, even, I remember in the, it was like the middle of the afternoon, it'd be like two o'clock in the afternoon is when you would have cross country skiing biathlon. And, and like you mentioned in these two extremely different, um, you know, different, uh, uh, skills that you have to have, you know, the, the, both the endurance of the, of the skiing, but also like the, you know, the, the, the speed, and then having to have the, the ability to calm yourself down and, and, you know, shoot a rifle accurately on a range. Um, it just really connected with me. And that I think was actually the first year that, uh, Chad Samuel was, was calling the games for, uh, for NBC and his enthusiasm sort of got into me and, and I mean, it's just, I've loved it ever since. So, nice. um, that just, uh, I really was in the last, uh, last three or four years, I would say that I dove into it more deeply. And then really the last two years is when I got, uh, uh, when I got the, the most, most heavily invested in it. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, and still I, growing, right? Oh, it's, the passion is absolutely still growing, you know, nice. you know as we, yeah, yeah. as we go from, uh, you know, just watching it to, uh, you know, starting the, uh, the, the Twitter account and the, the website and, and, and now, now with this podcast. And it's a cool, I, I really find it's a cool community. Like it's, it's obviously a smaller sport on a, on a world scale, but, uh, just the connections you get with, with other people that are interested or in love with the sport, uh, just through Twitter has been, has been really amazing. I must say. Completely agree. Certainly, uh, I yeah. think everyone's pretty supportive. You know, th there are some aspects of social media these days, and I don't want to get too far into this, but some aspects of social media that can can be pretty negative. But I feel like mm -hmm. overall, like the biathlon community is pretty supportive, um, and right. everyone you know is is you know willing and wanting to hear you know new voices and new perspectives. So you know, I've really you know, I, like I said, I only really got into it the last couple of years, and I really felt like I was immediately embraced. And, yeah, and, and it seems to align well with with both my experience. I did only one race so far, but uh, just by athletes that I met in that one race were all very supportive and helpful and just nothing like, Oh, here's a new guy. You know, it's all been like, Oh, you're, are you new? Let me help you. And what do you need? And, and I've also, uh, I remember when, um, and her name totally escapes me now, but the, um, the girl on the Swedish team that came from cross country skiing. Oh yeah. Uh, uh Stina Stina Nielsen. Nielsen. She, uh, I read somewhere that she, she said that one of the main reasons why she switched is that she didn't like the atmosphere in, in cross country skiing anymore. And that she found that uh, biathlon family was way more accepting and, and, uh, and more fun to be around. So I thought it was interesting. Anyway, why don't we um, go over the outlay, uh, outlay of the podcast? Um, you want me to get started? Let's do it. Okay. You're delayed overview of the week.
So as we discussed, like our plan frequency is basically doing a podcast every race weekend or right after. Um, but we're already starting with a exception, and that is during these Olympics, where our plan is to do a unedited version of our podcast, pretty short, uh, but we'll meet right after the race, just briefly talk about what uh, what stood out to us, and then um, kind of keep it at that during the Olympics, and then after that, we'll just be at our race weekend schedule. And have have patience with us, right? Because we are going. This is going to be right after the races, so these are going to be our pure thoughts. We haven't had time to, uh, you know, to to make any make any outlines, make any plans, make any, uh, uh, you know, do any research, right? As we're doing these these post Olympic race uh, podcasts, so this is Should just going to be, yeah, exactly. This is going to be. I keep exactly. in mind it will be three a.m. and five a.m. your time. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have been up in the middle of the night. So yeah, you know we're. <laughs> We might be a little bit tired, a little loopy, but uh, it should be it should be a lot of fun. Okay. Um, so typically in our normal po podcast, we'll uh, we'll start with a brief overview of the past race weekend. Um, then we'll head over to the power rankings, as uh, Jordan has on his penalty loop website. We'll look at some under the radar athletes as well as up and coming athletes, and then we'll probably pick one or two general topics we'll discuss, and uh, we'll typically end it with the stat of the week. So uh, since this is the first real podcast and not the unedited version, let's uh, move right over to the brief overview of the weekend. And in this case, without really a race weekend behind us, um, why don't we discuss a little bit the uh, two, uh, excuse me, the first two trimesters and uh, what stood out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I figured let's start off by uh, taking the, the, the women's half, if, uh, if that's sure. okay with you. Perfect. So uh, honestly, for me, the first thing, and this actually might be my 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 number one overall takeaway from the first trimester, uh, first two trimesters, is uh, is Elvira and her mm -hmm. incredible speed. Uh, it's right. just been uh, we saw a little bit of it last year, but I mean, she came out of the gates just absolutely blazing this season, um, and has you know, with very few exceptions, blown everybody off the track. Well, she kept it going so long too. I know it's really incredible. It, yeah. Cause she's, yeah, like you said last year, it was, there was phases where any athletes had, you know, one or two races, but she just kept it going and uh, it was really impressive. And I also liked Elvira's first win that, that kind of stood out to me. And, mm -hmm. and uh, more particularly, I, I thought it was interesting to see how uh, her sister Hannah was almost more happy than Elvira yes. to win. Yes. And that seemed to kind of fade away after the next couple of races that, uh, that Elvira <laughs> won. So uh, yeah, the, uh, the the sibling enthusiasm faded a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first one was special, but after that, it was probably more of a realization of oh crap! Now I got another competitor that's uh, you well know, that too. And then, me, so. and then, as much as we love our siblings, right? Sometimes they, it's a little annoyance when they start to be better at us than something that we've always been been. Uh, oh, for sure. Than them, right? Yeah. yeah so, no. so maybe a little bit of sibling rivalry uh, uh, coming in there too. Yeah, um, sure. I actually, so one of the things I thought was fascinating, right? So I mentioned how fast she was. So she was, uh, over the four, the first trimester, right? Just the first trimester. She had the, uh, the fastest course time for four of, of the races, which as you mentioned previously, like nobody else last year was able to do that on, on that consistent of a basis. Right. Um, and she really, she, she, like I said, she came out of the gate. It was the first three races in a row. She was the fastest woman out there. And I would like, like I said earlier, I was really, really thinking it would die off after one or two races, and and mm -hmm. uh, or even 
after the Usherston weekend, but uh, no, she just kept it going. So it was really impressive. Yep, absolutely. On the other side, uh, maybe mm -hmm. a little le less impressive and unexpected. I think I, I know was, where you're uh, going here. Yeah, was uh, was Ekhoff. I don't know yeah. what was going on with her, but uh, just just couldn't get it right. Uh, and, and you know, she said herself, right? She said when she left the uh, the Annecy weekend, she left it early and said that her body just wouldn't cooperate with what she was trying mm -hmm. to do. Um, and so even even if she had some good good you know relatively good days, she clearly wasn't feeling well. Uh, right. when, when nothing, nothing was feeling right for, um, she took some time away. She had the holiday break. Then she got, uh, she got sick over the holiday break. So she took off the Oberhof weekend as well before right. coming back for really just three races before the Olympics. So, um, we have not seen a lot of her in, in this second trimester. No. And I, and I got to a point where, you know, the idea of Akhoff not going to China was, crazy but at the same time i kind of felt like well they got nothing to yep to, to to let her go based on what she's shown so far so luckily she she picked it a up a little bit at the end there but uh and, and i'm not saying they should have dropped her but uh yeah no. it's just, you know if you if you don't see anything and and what you see is not really good they uh they have so much depth that you know i don't know if, if it ever was an issue for her to worry about it but well, and, and speaking of depth, right? So one of the things I've and and we can talk about this later, but I actually I just wrote about this on the on the website was talking about the relays, and mm. I had had thought you know because we didn't see very much of her, and um, we really you know, especially the last the last few weeks, and what we did see of her, you know, wasn't wasn't like she was racing like she did last year. I mean, it wasn't anything you know tremendous. Uh, was there? I wonder if there's ever any consideration to to drop her off the relay for for Tandravold. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it looks like, especially for the mixed relay that didn't happen. Um, and of course, you know, in the four by four by six, she'll be there, but, um, you know, it, just for, for a brief moment there, I thought, I thought that was possible, but yeah. And it's, it, it's funny cause, and I'm kind of stepping to over to the men now, but, um, with the men, I've always felt like, cause they were, they were slow for, for what you would expect from the Norwegians, uh, mm -hmm. in the beginning of the season, particularly, but, um, I always felt there there was a good chance of that that was part of their planning for the Olympics. Yep. With with Ekhoff, for some reason, I didn't feel that way. It was it was she just seemed off. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I think some of it too was also her the her visible frustration um, mm -hmm. with uh, with the men. You know, I think uh, Lagreed actually had a comment about you know uh, or the I think something. I'm, I'm going to butcher that what he said, but it was. Are, are the Olympics in November or something about how clearly indicating that he was, uh, you know, aiming for aiming for the Olympics and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there definitely seemed to be a coordinated plan also because all of them, you know, seem to be having yeah. a similar, similar issue. Um, yeah. And, and comparing Ekhoff to Roisland was just, uh, they were, they were like on two different levels. Um, and so it just seemed more like it was uh, more of a, an Ekhoff uh, thing rather than a, a whole, whole team thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's funny with um, you know, of course, all athletes, especially the top athletes, are are aiming for good results in uh, Beijing. But it just felt a little bit like the Norwegians had already settled that this year was not going to be World Cup year, but it was Olympic year. Where mm -hmm. I felt with other teams, um, they were focusing on the Olympics, but they still wanted to perform well in the, in the World Cup as well. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. um, the other. 
man or male athlete that stood out to me is Quentin uh, Fillon-Maillet, and, and more in a sense that um, when Foucault stopped two seasons ago, I really expected Quentin uh, Fillon-Maillet to, uh, to come up as the new French top athlete the year after, and I guess last year, I mean, he still did quite well, but, but it was a little bit disappointing. And I really feel like now he's sort of at the point where I expected him last season. If you could, yeah, if you go back and look at his results, like he clearly started off last year struggling, right? You know, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. not what we expected to see out of him. In the last couple of weeks of the season, he seemed to get more comfortable with where he was. Like he definitely had his best finishes in those last few weeks. And maybe and the pressure was off too. I think so. Like By he was time, just right? so far out of it and and the expectations had, had kind of fallen off that he was able to just be himself. Mm -hmm. um, and and this year, I mean, he's he's easily looks like the best one out there week in, week out. I mean, Jack and Lang kept up with him for, for the first few weeks, but uh, ever since the calendar rolled over to 2022, it's been uh, QFM all by himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, I must say last races are, are a little bit scary because I'm, I'm yes. I can't imagine that that wouldn't give any, any, any additional pressure or doubt, uh, especially on the shooting side, but uh, hopefully he can turn it around. And Absolutely. I've actually thought about this. I was wondering, you know, they, the French made this big deal about, you know, uh, in, in contrast to the Norwegians about, you know, they weren't going to take any weekends off and there's no reason you can't pursue the, you know, the overall and the mm -hmm. Olympics at the same time. But man, if, uh, if it wouldn't have been in uh, uh, Fionn uh best interest to not race last weekend, he would have, he would have ended, uh, you know, the, the, the two stops in Germany yeah. looking amazing. He wouldn't have had that little bit of doubt creeping in from, from, uh, from Anholtz. Uh, did mm -hmm. you, I don't know if you, if you've gone back and, and watched those races at all. Uh, maybe I'm just a, a lunatic. So I do that sometimes, but, um, the, uh, if you actually go back and look at, at feel on the range, he looks so uncomfortable. Like he, he's constantly looking up and looking at the flags and I just, uh, I, you know, for, for a guy who can be such a, uh, such a mental athlete. Uh, and I actually mean that in a positive generally, but, mm. uh, I, I, I really hope that doesn't, uh, uh, stick in his head, uh, as we, as we move forward. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of of uh, Johannes Tingis Bo in the mm -hmm. beginning of the season, where when he was shooting at that time, he was also like every yes. shot, he was lifting his head and looking around and didn't seem to be comfortable in this position where, yeah, like you said, the, the last races or, or two, um, it was more uh, QFM that, that seemed mm -hmm. a little uncomfortable. But And, uh, and, and ironically, it was Bo who, who started seemed more calm better. and comfortable. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just, those, those last couple of races for, for him stick out where I, he was just like blazing on the range. I know on the, in the individual race, uh, JT, mm -hmm. uh, took his time, but in the, in the, the relay and the mass start, like he just got up there and just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was out, but. So who do you, uh, uh, what's your gut feel on, uh, on what team is, is, is ready for the Olympics the best? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me this. Uh, I have been, <laughs> I have been debating this all week long. Um, and my gut feels the Norwegians, but that feels like such an easy answer that, that it mm. starts to make me doubt myself. Right. Like, you know, uh, of course the Norwegians, because they've got so much firepower, but because it's the easy answer, does that make it wrong? I'm, I'm, I'm no, I don't think so. And, and I also think just the way Dave, like now I, I remember about a month ago, we were talking about if there was something about the wax, but mm -hmm. because they're not using the fluoride anymore. And maybe that's why the Norwegians were slow. And, and the more we've learned as the season went on, it just, you know, now looking back, it just felt like 
it was all part of a big plan yes to uh to steam them ready for the olympics and and if you know if the the uh, trend lines keep going the way they're going they're they're peaking at exactly the right moment uh, I, I don't remember which week this was now. I should probably do my research on my own website. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, during one of my uh, uh, post-weekend uh, breakdowns, I actually looked at the, um, just the, just purely looking at uh, course time rank for the uh, Norwegians uh, from the uh, first weekends and then how they've been doing uh, in, since uh, 2022 started. And mm. Tarjebo, uh, and and Lagreed especially, and then the last uh, weekend you could see it with JT Bo as well. Just the you know the like you said the trend lines are pointing exactly in the in you know the direction you'd want them to be up. Yeah, uh, yeah. they are they are going up up up. I, yeah, honestly, Tarja Bo and and, and Lagreed actually impressed me more so even than than JT just because um, I mean they were they were really fast. Uh, oh, for sure, and, yeah. You know and. and I think Lagrida was even faster in the last couple of races than he was all of last year. Right. Um, so yeah, with, I mean, with Johannes thing is you kind of expect it, right? Because yes. you, you you kind of feel like that's that's his obvious strength, and um, uh, this year he was just below his normal strength, and it just uh, was good to to see him grow back into his normal form. But uh, yeah, it's it's it, I think the Germans. On the men's side, at least, did a did a good job on mm -hmm. on uh, starting to get better and better towards the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. And on the other well. hand, uh, uh, Belarus seemed to have <sighs> lost it a little bit. I I, yes. I was gonna when we talk talked about the athletes. I I thought Alan Bakova was a a really interesting athlete just yes. for how consistent she's been um, through every race. But uh, yeah, the team as a whole, like Smolski, was really good, and he started to fade off a little bit. Um, Hannah, or I should say, Hannah Sola, as I just <laughs> learned on the on the biathlon site. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. You know, there are a couple of those a couple of those pronunciations on their uh, pronunciation guide they released today that I'm just never going to be able to get down. My tongue <laughs> is not going to be able to do it. I will try hard, I promise. But you know, I apologize in advance. Well, we all we can do is try, right? But yeah. uh, we'll make an effort to to say it right. But uh, yeah, she's really faded off, and and Ugh, yeah, I don't know to the point where I'm just really not sure what to what to say about her with regards to the olympics like a, that was that was a pretty big step down so it was alarming yeah so going so if you had asked me this back in december or even early january you know i would have had the uh belarusian um uh mixed relay team as, as mm. almost one of the favorites right because if you can roll out alan bekova sola and uh and smolsky like you are you got three really good legs yeah um, that that can put you in contention for a medal but now, which yeah. is really looking like it's just Alan Bekova, uh, as far as as far as the ones that it's I reliable, trust. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and she's been incredible. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, she's second ranked overall right now for the women, mm -hmm. um, and she has more fourth place finishes than I think anybody's ever had in a season. Uh, right. Don't fact check me on that, but it's it's a remarkable, more remarkable yeah. run. Um, I think her worst finish since the start of twenty twenty two is seventh place. I mean, these are these are great results. Uh, mm -hmm. The rest of her team, though, just seems to have. As a yeah, I mean, let's not. I don't want to make it sound like Smolski and and Sola particularly are are not doing well. Like they're still both in the top ten in their uh, mm -hmm. in the in the World Cup standing. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hope that they can surprise us. 
Yeah. Why don't we uh, move on to the next section under the uh, the brief overview of the weekend, and that's uh, where we roll some dice, or actually one die, because I have a 20-sided die. <laughs> uh, rather than talking about all the positions on the World Cup standing, I'll just roll a number, and the number is 13. And uh, let's just see who shows up on the men's and women's side in the World Cup standing. So for the men's side, um, I'm looking at Latipov. And that's actually oh. a very interesting athlete because I have no idea how he came out of COVID. I, I have no idea. He just disappeared. Yeah. Um, he got COVID and then we just never saw him and never saw him. Other athletes came back quicker than he did. I don't know if he was just having persistent positive results or, or what was going on there, but no, there was something going on. I read something in the German on, on a German biathlon side that, um, cause that, was it Johannes Kuhn who had COVID as well at yes. some point? Yeah. yeah. So, so he had COVID after Lachipov, but he was allowed to come back earlier, I think to Antholz and Lachipov was told they still needed to stay in his hotel. I don't know the reason why, but obviously they changed it at some point to let him participate in Antholz as well. This but, is pure um, speculation, to, I, and I honestly don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if it has something to do with vaccination status. Mm, that could be. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Like I said, no. this is pure speculation. You know, I know for a lot of places, if you're vaccinated, then the the uh, isolation time is less. So maybe that was right. part of it. I don't know. Because he was he was basically stuck in a hotel in uh, in Germany, thankfully, to uh, to Eric Lesser. Yes, the yeah. German athlete. He he let him uh, use his his spin bike and uh, some other stuff, I believe. So that was pretty neat to hear. But uh, hey, we were yeah, just talking about then, biathlon and sportsmanship, and there it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, he, he when he was back in Antolts, I mean, he I'm he wasn't awful, but he definitely wasn't the Latipov that we saw before his uh, no. COVID vaccination. I mean, just like his vaccination. His, sorry, his yeah, the, the COVID, the COVID illness, right? Yeah. The uh, the last three races that he raced were were the French races there, uh, and uh, he finished second in the sprint, second in the pursuit, and twelfth in the mass start. And then he is gone, right? His for for a month comes back, and he raced in, I believe he was in the relay, um, and then he raced in the mass start, and he was finished in twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, clearly not uh, where he was, um, you know. Prior to the the holiday break, he had pretty much established himself as uh, one of the uh, the stronger athletes on the on the skis, right? So his his uh, his ski rankings have been had been pretty good, uh, you know, consistently in the top ten. And then uh, he he fell down a bit. I believe he mm-hmm. was twelfth uh, in the in the mass start in in Anholtz. Uh and so, you know, it's hard. You can do as much as you can on the exercise equipment, but if you can't actually get on the snow and you can't get on the range, uh, it's just, it's hard to, to maintain those skills. And just, just uh, to, for, for you know, completeness sake, he was 60% uh, shooting right. in, the, uh, in the mass start. So, um, you know, it, it's just, there's only so much you can do when you're having to train indoors. Now he's had a couple of weeks, uh, you know, between Antholtz and, Beijing. So I, I, I have no idea what we're going to see. No, no. And, and I mean, you know, bring it to the, bring the fact in that, that with COVID really, nobody really knows yep. what the sickness does to you short-term and long-term. So that, mm-hmm. that probably doesn't make it more secure about it either. So uh, why yeah. don't we move on to the women's side 
might have, might have a little bit more. Yeah, a little more. Yeah, <laughs> he was about. You know, we have probably have less information about him than anybody else in the top twenty. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to see. Uh, I, I I really hope that he's back at his other uh, his. Me too. Pretty, he was so good. Form. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we didn't talk about the Russians when we talked about the teams for the Olympics. Um, and I don't want to get too deep into them, but uh, he had before the break established, established himself as like the top male Russian and, mm-hmm. and, and not by a little bit. Like he was just looking really, really good. I even mentioned him when I did my uh, over the break, when I did my preview for the second half of the season as somebody who had the smallest chance, but was technically still in contention for the overall race. And right. uh, I just, I, you know, we were, we were denied a little bit, but um, he definitely has, he has all sorts of potential. So we'll see what, see what he's able to come back with. Mm-hmm. So on the women's side, uh, Red Sova, uh, oh. big surprise for me. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. been around. Like I, I, on, uh, I typically look on realbiathlon.com for, uh, for athlete information. And I see that she started uh, participating in 2017-18 season, and her ski speed has been going up incredibly. Yes. yes. Um, just and and yeah, she's she's definitely one of those athletes that I wouldn't expect at the top of the the leaderboard for every race, but at the same time, I'm not surprised if if she's in the top three either. Nope. Like when Absolutely. she has her day, she she's right up there. Yeah. So we usually uh, do, you know, we we make some picks before uh, before the races. You and I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had started to, you know, consider her at the beginning of the re- the season. She was nowhere on my radar screen. Yeah. Um, but really, the last few weeks, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't leave her out of consideration. I think I picked her a couple times too. Uh, I actually I really encourage people to go on to Real Biathlon if you don't visit already, but. Um, there's a, a really, there's a chart there where you can look up, you know, r- results per race and, and they, you know, you can just look at ski rank and shooting rank and race rank. And these are, um, you know, and it shows a plot, uh, over, over time, her ski rank is just a steady progression upward. I mean, her shooting yeah. rank has gotten a little better, but it is just, it is, is really remarkable. She's clearly been putting in the work. Um, and, and that's the, the, I mean, that's the reason why she's had this improvement. Um, so, uh, I, I think the other thing I was going to mention with her was, you know, you look back at the start of the season and she was, you know, her finishes, she, you know, eighth place in the individual to start, but then 33rd, 27th, 31st, 22nd, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, fifth, ninth, third, seventh. Mm-hmm. So she really like jumped right up into contention. Um, yeah. so, uh, looking forward, uh, to the Olympics, I mean, I, there's no way you can count her out. I mean, if she wins a medal, I, I won't be surprised at all. Just like you said. Yeah. And, uh. And I don't know if people saw the tweet that I uh, sent out recently, and I was uh, going over it with Roddy Ward and uh, some other people. That um, depending on where they come from in Russia, mm-hmm. I think uh, they could have a benefit of having grown yep. up in an area that that is pretty darn cold, uh, similar to the conditions that they're they're seeing now in uh, in Beijing. So, absolutely. So, anything else? Why don't we uh, move over to the power rankings? The power rankings. Yep, it's a it's a it's a nice uh, little transition over there to to the power rankings because uh, guess what? There were no new power rankings this week, so I apologize. In <laughs> uh, all seriousness, next stuff. topic then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, the way that we'll do it in the future is is uh, uh, we'll we'll briefly run down them and, and we'll do a little deep dive on uh, any you know uh, anybody that made made some big moves up or down. Um, 
you know, if we if we cover them a little bit in the uh, in the brief overview of the weekend, you know, we'll we'll not go not go too deep on them, but in general, we'll just uh, uh, look at the people who are moving. And if somebody's been sitting in the same spot for a while or has has been pretty consistent, sometimes it's you know not really productive to spend too much time on them. So. Um, I actually do, you know, if you don't mind, uh, want to hop back into, you know, what what the last penalty uh, loop uh, power rankings looked like, and yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the I I froze them right. So uh, if anybody does, hasn't been visiting the website, I encourage you to please. I put a lot of work into it, and I want to share it with everybody. But um, uh, penaltyloop.com. So uh, the uh, the power rankings honestly are just basically if you had a race today. Uh, who I think would be first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and uh, uh, one through 10. And uh, it doesn't take into account uh, discipline of race. Uh, it doesn't take into account uh, where the race would be, but it's just basically looking at who's strong, who's not. Um, and uh, at the beginning of the season, we'll look a little bit like what the overall rankings look like, but but it's supposed mm -hmm. to reflect more who's performing well at any given time. Um, you know, so somebody who might be in the overall ranked 15th could end up on the power rankings if they have a couple good weekends in a row and, and, and really uh, boost themselves up. So um, the last time I had the rankings uh, active uh, was in uh, was after Oberhof, and I froze them because in Rupolding and Endholz, there were a lot of athletes who took weekends off. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, whether they were training or even they, I, with COVID, it wasn't planned because of COVID, but with COVID, there were a lot of athletes that missed it. I, I they, you know, when, when you look back, you can see, you know, some of the, some of the athletes, you know, are, are in the same position that they, they probably would be now, but there've actually been some pretty big changes, uh, you know, to, to, uh, some of these rankings as well. And one of them I actually wanted to mention on the men's side, uh, was, uh, Johannes Tengesbuhl. We've mentioned him a little bit earlier, but at my last time I did the rankings, he was all the way down in ninth. And if uh, we had uh, updated the rankings after Antholtz, there's no way he would still be in ninth. He absolutely would have come back up um, after that after that performance. Uh, uh, you know, with the uh, individual and the mass start, especially showing that he definitely is back in contention for some wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I I'm a little because um, I I saw you were tweeting about that with someone and. Uh, I kind of felt like that there's always a risk of because you know how good he can be that yes. uh, you you maybe give him more credit at this point or or at the point of the Antholtz races because uh, I mean clearly before that his performance was uh, was you know probably worthy of the ninth ninth place that he was on but um, I did have when I saw that conversation I was a little bit thinking well you know yeah he showed he showed some really good progress but it it hasn't really he hasn't really shown it over two or three weekends right so you're I, absolutely I right you know uh and, and i'll be honest like that's probably something i do too much of is uh you know i i am more likely to give people who have shown in the past more likely to give them uh the benefit of the doubt and mm -hmm. uh so if i see somebody like jt or uh you know on the on the women's side if, if uh Eckhoff had come out and had two really good finishes you know probably would have uh, had the impulse to, to move her way up just because I know what, uh, I know what they're, <laughs> know what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. Um, even if it doesn't totally reflect, uh, reflect, uh, what they've been doing. I agree. You know, he, he deserved to move up probably, probably, you know, my instinct right after the races might've been to move him up all the way into like the top five probably yeah. wouldn't have deserved that. But, um, I, you know, it's just a little bit of post-race excitement there. Right. 
uh, on the women's side, um, the last time I had uh, I had looked at these, uh, we had uh, of course uh, Roisland and Elvira Uberg were uh, uh, right up at the top, and, and I, they would not have moved. But in my third spot, I had uh, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it. I apologize, Anna Sola, um, and uh, we already talked about her a bit, but. Uh, oh boy, I just I, I I feel I feel for her, and I got my fingers crossed that she's going to be able to 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 hang on to it. The other interesting person, though, was uh, uh, Dorothea Vier and uh, Justine Rosé Boucher, uh, and they were both outside of my rankings uh, <laughs> going into the last two weeks, and and oh boy, <laughs> that was probably a mistake. Talking about <laughs> another athlete who made a good good plan yes. for the Olympics, hey? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Justine Brézat-Boucher. The the speed that she showed was uh, well, very much like what what we saw earlier from uh, Elvira, and uh, the fact that she was able to to beat her on the on the ski speed was very impressive. And then on the other hand, uh, Dorothea Veer was just um, you know thinking mm -hmm. of of when she was winning the the globe a couple of mm -hmm. years ago. Yes. Yeah. I'm confident you know, in shooting and the skiing just very smooth and and strong and it's very impressed. I, I will be honest. I was worried about her uh, back in November and December because she did not look like her normal self. Um, and, and in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, she's 31. Maybe she's just reached the part of her career where she's going to start hitting the downslope. But she clearly was had a plan in place and it has worked out. Yeah, and I. I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight, but with her, I really because she she never made it a secret that that these are going to be her last Olympics, and you know yep. she she's missing the the individual gold. And with her, I kind of felt from the start of the season that that was her main and probably only focus for this season. And of course, you know, if you do well in the in the World Cup standings, then you keep it up as as best as you can. But I think for her, everything was planned around the Olympics, and you know. The, whatever else happened was a good bonus, but um, I'm I'm really expecting her to uh, to do well in the Olympics. Absolutely, you know, and, and that's really the only thing that she doesn't have on her resume, right? Is right. the uh, is the the individual Olympic gold or the solo Olympic gold? Yeah, I don't want to get it confused yeah. with the individual. I know that's it's such a confusing yeah. term that they use, but I know I really wish that they would find a different term for it. But I guess it's been around yeah. forever, so yeah. Uh, but. Uh, uh, we have talked a lot about ski ranks. Uh, I'm just going to mention some more. <laughs> so okay. since since the the start of uh, 2022, hers have been uh, for each race: 36th, 26th, 13th, 12th, 7th, and second. I mean, that wow. is like a, a rocket ship straight up. So, um, and obviously, you know, a couple of those races, there were some of the top athletes were missing or coming back for some from some hard right. training. But that is a clear trend, um, and I I have no reason to doubt that it's going to continue at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, not that nobody else deserves it, but so well deserved for somebody yes. who's been around so long and yep. and just yeah. given so much to the sport. Absolutely. So yeah, but yeah, we'll and find out if soon. She, if she's if she's able to do it, I mean, it, like you said, it is it is absolutely well deserved. Yeah. And uh, we mentioned I uh, uh, Justine Bronze uh, uh, Boucher. I apologize, my American accent, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, she so she's sort of opposite right so she has always had the speed like you mentioned like she mm -hmm. was able to challenge uh, elvira but uh her her shooting accuracy has always been the question right. and over the last two weekends she was able to really put it together uh yeah she looked much more comfortable um and we saw when she shoots 
relatively well, she is going to be in contention. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I got to be honest, when she won the individual race with, uh, I think she was 19 for 20, I, I was blown away. That was just, uh, I thought that was an unbelievable performance for her. Yeah, and she reminds me uh, a lot of, of not in a, on a personal level, but uh, Julia Simon, mm -hmm. uh, that I always felt like if she has a good day on the range, she can be very competitive, um, but it's really hit and miss with her. Like she'll she'll either have a good day and then one or, or zero misses, or she'll be like four or five misses. Like it seems yes. there's not much yep. in between and not much yep. consistency. Um, so yeah, and it's uh, I don't know if it's a French thing, but it was you know it's it's just nice to to see the potential of these athletes mm -hmm. uh, and when it all comes together. You mentioned Julia Simone, and speaking of uh, improvements, uh, she has it's sort of like she's she's a couple of weeks ahead of Justine and, and and her and sort of following the same trajectory, right? So going back to just the last weekend of the first trimester, she uh, she started shooting better then, and since then she has just been on one heck of a roll. Yeah, uh, she almost like I, I remember at the time calling her a boomer bust by athlete, but like she's been on such a run right now that that uh, I, I'm starting to actually trust her consistency, which seems a little bit. Makes me a little bit nervous, but <laughs> she just is. She's been in there every every single race. Yeah, and I and I read uh, a blog post about you know the selection of the French team, especially mm -hmm. for the mixed relay as well. And and they were talking about Justine Bleudapouge more as the unreliable shooter, where and then they mentioned that Simon is is uh, somebody they see as a more reliable shooter, which I've, I thought was interesting. But yeah, looking at the the most recent numbers. They're definitely onto something. So, yeah, she's doing fantastic. Uh, that I mean, that the French relay, if they if they are hitting on all cylinders, yeah, that could be, that could be quite something. I just, you know, I'm I mostly hope that it's just going to be a, a close race. Um, yes, yeah. you know, and and I mean, the obvious ones are France and Sweden and Norway, and and then uh, you know who know who know what other team has a good day, mm -hmm. but uh, just as long as it's close. Um, coming down to the last shooting that would be really nice absolutely um you know i i mentioned earlier that that i did that uh that that deep dive into all the different relays recently and um I, you know i felt kind of silly uh, i felt like every time i was just writing about the the same the same three countries right at the top right uh with uh with france and norway and and uh and sweden yeah uh, but you're totally right like if 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 you know if russia or germany or somebody can can pop in there and make it a real a really competitive race i think that it's sort of it's sort of deflating when you get to the end of a mass start or the end of a relay and somebody's got like a, a minute and a half lead um yeah i i never like when they have time to pick up a flag from the crowd or or from their coaches to wave it around <laughs> yeah, as much uh, as that is nice for them to do but uh yeah yes. they, they, for, for us fans it's a uh, it's not it's not as exciting right yeah, and and you get to the point too where you almost start hoping that they miss when they're in a big lead, and and I, I don't, know. you know, I don't want to do that. But uh, it's a it's a terrible feeling. Yeah, yeah. like I don't want to root against anybody because I generally like I I uh, I hope this comes across, you know, when we're talking online. But like I I, I like pretty much everybody, right? I don't think there's mm -hmm. anybody that I'm actively cheering against at any point. Um, no. it's just that sometimes you you cheer for the you cheer for the race. Yeah, I think I just have too much respect for for what they do to, yes. to oh, be yeah. against somebody. I mean, there's obviously it, people that stand out in a more positive way to me personally than others. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we've all got we've all got our favorites. Uh, nobody can accuse me of of uh, of uh, not being a fan of yeah. uh, Lisa Hauser. Lisa right? Hauser so. comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, I goodness. If she ever listened to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, and then, and then, you know, we can also, uh, you know, look at people who are not quite on the top 10, right? So who are not quite uh, reaching into the, the the top 10 of the, of the power ranking, somebody who's sort of under the radar, but maybe is, uh, is, is making some moves and is, it might be, might be someone we're going to see here in the future. Under the radar. Mm-hmm. And sure, uh, sure. Uh, looking at, uh, especially after this most recent weekend with the European Championships, uh, Alina uh, Stromos. Yep. Uh, she, uh, she's popping her head above the radar. I know, I know. Uh, so, 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 just again, peek behind the curtain, just so people had, had known. You know, we we were talking about mentioning her before this past weekend, and yep. then then uh, <laughs> she went out and, and and performed way above anything I could have expected. Yeah, that's. Uh... And then, you know, of course, the IBU Cup is a lower level and a lot of the top athletes aren't there. But to to jump from, you know, the World Cup results that she was having and I think just looking back here on Real Biathlon, but um, yeah, to go out on the IBU Cup and just win a race, that, that was really impressive. And uh, yeah. I'm really happy for her. To, it's just... You know the when you when you look at the stats on a career overview for uh, for Alina, she uh, she has, she's just been increasing basically since the beginning of this season, both mm-hmm. in ski rank and in shooting rank. So uh, it's really impressive stuff, and it's not from a country with a lot of biathlon history. No, uh, is, is she a former Russia athlete? I think she. That, I think she is. Yeah. I, you know, I, I that that rings a bell. Um, I, I you know I, she's sort of a adopted Moldovan, I believe. Yeah, and uh, to be frank, I'm not even sure where I would look for that country. I'm I'm guessing maybe in one of the former Yugoslavian uh, countries, but um, I'm not I'm even glad sure. You asked. So I, I pulled up a map. It is a former oh. USSR republic. So oh, okay, uh, yeah. So so exactly where you'd expect it to be. Okay, but uh, yeah, only 26. So uh, so still lots of a lot of room for improvement too. So absolutely. You know, and even you know, she she did ex- extremely well on the uh, on the the IBU Cup and the European Championships this this weekend. But uh, you know, she she the last weekend at Anholtz, right? She was fourteenth in the individual, ninth in the mass start. So um, yeah, I I I am very curious to see how uh, how this week goes or this next two weeks for her in in Beijing, and then and then uh, what she looks like on on the backside of the the last the last three weekends of competition here on the. And the World Cup, yeah, and so, if, it would be interesting to see if she if this is just part of her Olympic preparation as well, so mm-hmm. that she's peaking at the right moment, or if she's just you know be able is going to be able to uh, to keep it up, right? So, yeah, because it could be very well could be that she is just a uh, uh, you know a 26, 27 year old, twenty six mm. year old, uh, you know, uh, biathlete who is just reaching her potential and is is having one of those breakout years, or she had an incredible. Uh, you know, uh, training schedule and and is right. peaking at the exact right time or or both. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting uh, that she was competing this past weekend at the and uh, the the European Championships before the Olympics. Uh, not a lot of people uh, pulling the double duty. I don't think. No, the only uh, the other athlete that I remember was uh, Baiba Bendika. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I think from Lithuania. Um, she, I don't, I didn't look up her stats, but, uh, I know she participated as well and then went off to, uh, to Beijing. So I can't imagine that they would still have to prove themselves at the open European championships to, uh, 
to to qualify for Beijing. I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that that was already settled before those championships. But at the same time, I, I can imagine if you, uh, you know, you're, you're doing well in the World Cup, but maybe not in the top mm -hmm. 10, and, and you feel like the IBU Cup is a good opportunity to, uh, you know, put another good race together and, and get some more experience in at a, uh, you know, lower level yet still championship event um, that might just benefit them. So absolutely. And I mean, uh, Moose must be going in with a really on a really high right now coming no out kidding. of that, right? So, so she has the opposite mental picture that uh, Quinton Fiomaye has. Right. Yeah. Right. He's got, he's got the question. She has all the confidence in the world. Right. Uh, do you want to move forward and, and look at some, uh, some other uh, young athletes? Some up yeah, let's do that for sure. Yodelay! Up and coming athletes. Excellent. So uh, uh, we we had a, a handful that we had uh, we had identified in the past as uh, you know people that we had our eyes on, but uh, one that really uh, stood out to me mostly because we had a conversation you and I offline about her. Uh, in particular, was uh, was Amy Baserga uh, mm -hmm. of the of the the Swiss uh, biathlon team and uh, right. qualifying for the Olympics and. Uh, we, we spoke about her in particular because I made the mistake of leaving her off of my report on the relay. So I apologize about that. But um, yeah, uh, she is uh, showing some some really nice signs of uh, coming into her own um, and maybe a, a source of strength for the, the Swiss going forward. Absolutely. And uh, looking at her stats, her, her shooting has gone down a little bit in the last couple of races. But uh, generally, she's still making a, a steady upward trend on uh, on both race rank and ski rank so uh yeah if, if she can pull it together on the on a shooting range she's going to be a, a strength on that team and at only 21 this will most likely not be her last olympics so uh <laughs> you know it's for yeah. her it's probably a lot about the experience too and, and and just being able to enjoy it and and bring that experience into uh the following year so absolutely yeah, it's, uh I, really... I think she did. Did she do one race last season? Like usually they, they throw in some younger athletes at the end of the, the season. She did. Uh, so I'm pretty sure she did one, but uh, yeah, this season, her first real full season on the world cup and then to go to the Olympics right away. It's uh, pretty impressive. Well, and like I said, she's 21. She's going to be around for a while. Um, and, and some of the tail off might even just be that she's getting a little tired because you know, she's 21. Mm. And, and I shouldn't say tired. Tired's maybe the wrong thing. I think mentally fatigued is a little bit different than than physical fatigue. At 21, not not as much physical fatigue, but definitely, uh, you know, you can you can see a little bit of a uh, you know mental exhaustion with the yeah. Although with, with the travel, uh, and everything. I think the physical physique could play a role in the sense that maybe at that age they're probably not used to doing so many races in a row. Yeah, uh, on a on a busy World Cup weekend, so That's maybe that that, uh, that may play a role too. Um, talking about young ones, she's twenty one, and that's uh, still two years older than Campbell Wright from oh my uh, New Zealand. And I was so happy to read that the uh, at first he wasn't supposed to go to Beijing, and then uh, for whatever reason, I'm I'm not sure to, about the details, but they decided that New Zealand was going to send him out after all. So she he's going to be at the Olympics and. Man, if he keeps his form going in the same trend as uh, as he's been doing so far, uh, I I think it goes too far to say that he's uh, an outside contender. But um, man, if the if the, the situation there, the the circumstances on the race day fit him well, then who knows what can happen? Incredible! I I actually so I I 
haven't looked it up. I couldn't name a single previous New Zealand biathlete ever. No. Um, so, you know, what he's doing, not only is he as young as he is, uh, you know, at just 19, but, but there's no real, you know, institution there for him to train in. It's not like he's coming up in the Norwegian team or the German team where there's a, you know, there's a foundation there. He's having to sort of plow his own way. Um, yeah. And, you know, he, like I said, he, he's from New Zealand. He's competing off, uh, you know, for, for most of the season in Europe. I mean, he's as far away from home as possible. And uh, here he is just, uh, you know, plugging away. He started off the season. I think he, he bottomed out, I think, of like 106th, which is pretty much dead last in mm -hmm. a couple of the, of the sprint races. And then this, this in 2022, all of a sudden just found something. I don't know if, it, if uh, new training, new coaches, but... He is, uh, I think he had a 15th place in the individual yeah. in Antholtz. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah. I don't care who you are. If you are 19 years old and you finish 15th place in an individual race at the World Cup level, that is, that's, that's great stuff. Yeah, I was very surprised. And uh, yeah, you could argue that, you know, some of the top names weren't there, but uh, he just did really well. And, you know, his, his ski speed has been in increasing basically since the, the second half of the season oh, well, mm -hmm. of the season that we've had so far and uh, his shooting is is very good as well so yeah who knows where he uh if he can come up with a surprise at uh, the olympics there oh i know and and we talk about the olympics and and oftentimes we talk about who's going to medal who's going to win gold but uh you know there are a lot of athletes and a lot of teams where success for them is not is not finishing on the podium but you know a, a top 10 Absolutely, um, it could yeah. be could be great. I mean, if Campbell Wright, if he had a top ten, I mean, that would be just an unreal, uh, right. an unreal finish. Take, this is funny. Taking a look back at the uh, the results from the the individual race and in, in Antholtz, he finished just ahead of uh, Simon Ader, who is thirty eight. <laughs> wow, wow, There's twice his age. That's incredible. Yeah, could be his dad. Yeah, that's yeah. unreal. And, oh, and I mean. Still going strong, Seamanator too. Yes, yeah, the, the the complete opposite of the spectrum. Certainly not an up and coming yeah. athlete, but no, no. He's just uh, <laughs> just just keeps going but out I there and doing it. I wouldn't write him off just yet either, because especially no. with the uh, with the the wind that they're talking about. Yes, you know he's such a strong shooter that uh, anything's possible. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, if he goes out there and just has a you know everybody else is struggling on the range and he goes out there and just has an unbelievable day, nineteen for twenty in the individual and suddenly he's he's suddenly in the top five wow yeah oh man hey another uh, up-and-coming athlete and I, I found her very interesting because when i look at her and i'm talking about vanessa Voigt, um from the german team i just feel like she's been around already for a couple of years i know and i don't know if that's because i i saw some races from the ibu cup last year where she obviously was doing well but um I've just been really impressed by her and, you know, yeah, of course there's a bit of room for improvement, but I could totally see her going from, you know, this basically her first season mm -hmm. to being the, the top athlete on the German team in, in, you know, two, three years. Absolutely. Uh, and, and she's had a little room to breathe this year with, uh, with, uh, Portia, uh, not being able to, to, to race as much. And that's a whole different conversation, but, um, She's, you know, she's doing well all on her own. You know, she is, uh, she's performing at a level that I would expect for somebody who had two or three years on the World Cup. Mm. Um, you know, she is uh, maybe not winning races. She's not getting, you know, top fives or anything like that. But 
Yeah, I think, you know, uh, she was seventh in the most recent mass start. She's had a couple of uh, races where she was just on the edge of the top 10. Um, yeah. You know, she is an amazing shooter. Uh, well, the consistency is just amazing, right? For, yes. for I mean, yeah. she's a little bit older for somebody who's new on the World Cup in 24, yeah. but still, it's uh, it's very impressive. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and I think that give her a couple of years to get her legs underneath her, and uh, she could, like you said, she could be the next leader of the of the, mm -hmm. the German team there. All right. Do you want to move on to the uh, general topics? Let's get to it. So. The first topic is the Olympic venue, and um, I'm going to put a little bit of a plug in here. Uh, my website, Biathlon Analytics, if you go to the main menu, you see Scoot, the board game that you can basically download, print out, glue together, and uh, and play. And uh, why I bring that up is that I just finally was able to get the track together for Beijing, because what really surprised me is the lack of information on the tracks. And luckily now with the athletes being there, we see more videos and more pictures of what it looks like. And um, one of our uh, co-tweeters, um, Biathlon Stats, was able to send me a PDF that had some of the course information. So I was able to, to put the track together eventually. But um, I keep hearing about this waxing for sand. How mm -hmm. do you wax for sand on the track? And uh, I... I must admit, I haven't really heard much about it on Instagram or Twitter from athletes, but apparently there's, you know, when you, when you look at the pictures, there's a lot of brown around the actual yes. tracks. Like the track, the tracks look amazing with snow, but uh, around it is a lot of brown and that soil apparently comes loose when the wind picks up and that seems to happen there quite a bit. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. A lot of athletes have written about the track being... Uh, pretty tough, no no big steep climbs, but mm -hmm. also not a lot of points where you have a long downhill where you can rest a little bit. And um, from what I've been reading and hearing as well is that the wind typically blows from the shooting range into the um, onto the track. It, it's a quite it it kind of goes into a valley up and down in a valley, and uh, it seems like when they're coming back into the the area where the shooting range is, that's where you typically get a headwind. Um, so I don't, I, I think there might not be a lot of easing off or resting just nope. before the shooting range. And then that same wind blows from left to right on the shooting range. Oh man. So uh, not a lot of reprieve there either. So it's going to be, going to be interesting, but if you pull up the, the city where the, the biathlon competitions are actually being held in China. So, uh, Zhang Zhekao, I uh, probably mispronouncing that as well, but, yeah. um, and it is, it's way up in Northwest of Beijing, but it's actually mm -hmm. it's sort of near the border of Mongolia. It, it's very close to the Mongolian desert. So, uh, I, you know, I am not a meteorologist. I am not a, you know, geographer by any means, but you could definitely see how, uh, that wind can just can just come across the desert unimpeded for hundreds of miles. And, right. you know, you can see why people are worried about sand, right? You can just bring it right on with them. And as you mentioned, there is a lot of brown out there. Not an area, uh, as we've been hearing, not an area that gets a lot of natural snow, although they did get some right. this week, thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, not an area that gets a lot of natural snow. So a lot of uh, loose impediments that could uh, blow right onto the course. Uh, as far as waxing for sand, I am not. Uh, the expert on that one. And I'm wondering if the reason we're not hearing a lot of it is because uh, everyone's trying to 
to keep it to themselves, so to speak, just to, maybe, yeah, you know, trying to, you know, a little, a little competitive advantage. I'm not sure how much of that there is, but um, I, yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know if that's part of it too. I don't, I'm, I'm not aware of any wax for scent in the sense that maybe it's just something that everybody has to deal with, but you can't yeah. really wax for it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I read somewhere too that uh, Ola and Bjorndalen has mm -hmm. uh, has called this a track for powerful athletes, uh, yep. and and he and he named Contempfion uh, as an example of people that can do the uh, and and I know that this is a bit tough to speak about because it's called differently in different countries, but uh, the one skate. So basically, for every push of your leg, you mm -hmm. use your poles. Um, and and QFM is is one of the athletes that likes to do that for long periods of times so uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if if that you know carries yes. on yeah. and uh, is evident or not but uh, another I mean, point i wanted to bring up sorry uh go ahead no i apologize so one of the things i was going to mention was just the altitude as you get into talking mm. about uh the one skate technique and and you know i'd imagine that there is more of a uh uh more of a anaerobic uh there uh or sorry, i should say more of an aerobic demand so you're gonna right. end up with more uh anaerobic uh, uh you know energy production uh but uh when we're talking about aerobic uh demands you know we're at an altitude that is uh, what 1600 meters if i have correct um yep. maybe a little bit higher than that um and and there's been a lot of discussion about how you know the altitude and you know in in uh different countries going to, to altitude training camps and whatnot but um you know, at this point, I, I'm curious how much the uh, the altitude actually will make a difference because Antholtz was the most recent uh, mm -hmm. event. They've had, you know, most of the athletes have been in China for a week, and most of them also did an altitude training camp. I'm just curious, um, and there's no answer. This is an unanswerable question. How much of a how much of an uh, issue that will actually be uh, with the, with the altitude, and will there be? Uh, uh, will be actually be able to see differences in athletes who were uh, more more prepared for uh, competing at altitude versus those who did not. I don't know. Mm. Uh, but um, with, uh, you know, with with uh, uh, Bjorn Dahlen mentioning that, uh, um, you know, that athletes use the uh, the one skate uh, technique, then um, I, I just imagine that's going to, like I said, going to create more uh, more energy demand. And with the thinner air, uh, that might lead mm -hmm. to some tiring in the in the the longer races. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. The the whole elevation thing, and and it seems like there's just so many different opinions about it. The only the only thing that I consistently see coming up is that individuals respond very differently to altitude. So regardless of the you know the preparation that they take, some athletes will just do better with altitude than others. So. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's kind of where I hope maybe the Canadians will do well, because even though, you know, during the race season, obviously they're in Europe, but uh, many of them train during the summer in, Cal in uh, Canmore, close to Calgary, where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's also at elevation. And uh, in the wintertime, the climate is very similar to what we're seeing in uh, in China, in the area that we're at, with uh, very dry air and um and cold temperatures mm -hmm. and a wind and um yeah i can definitely tell from experience i i just went out this morning in minus 25 with a with a good wind blowing so it's uh it's it's a tricky tricky situation to uh to perform in and um i think what what people mostly think about 
when we talk about, you know, performing in the cold, they think of, you know, maybe even shivering or, or just mm -hmm. being uncomfortable mm -hmm. and cold, but uh, a lot of ammunition is also, you know, performs better at temperatures that are not as cold yep. as uh, around minus 20. So mm -hmm. uh, that's definitely a consideration as well, as well as uh, what I now have from personal experience. When you think, oh, you just layer up, it uh, it definitely changes how your rifle feels. You, you may mm -hmm. have to make some adjustments because everything feels tighter with more layers on. And, and uh, I, I, I can't speak from experience on that so much, how it impacts the races, but I, I can only imagine that that will do something to an athlete as well. Absolutely. Um, so just a little background on myself, right? I am, a, uh, I, I weighed whether I should even mention this or not, but I am, I am a physician by training and I deal with a lot of athletes and I myself have been an endurance athlete for, for a number of years. And, um, it, the, the cold weather, like you mentioned, like it, yeah, there's, there's the shivering and there's the physically being cold, but there's actually, you know, it, when you weigh, you know, how much layering you need to do or how much layering you should do, um, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. So some athletes mm -hmm. are, uh, you, you know, they, they are going to perform better, uh, you know, with, uh, with fewer layers, um, just because they, uh, you know, they, they require, especially in biathlon, you know, but with the shooting, the, the, it is to their advantage to they would rather be colder right and have the the more physical touch um mm -hmm. and uh, you actually have more uh activation of the part of your nervous system uh that is responsible for you know sort of measuring where your body is in space the fewer layers you have on so uh for for some uh athletes right they might say that they're shooting for the shooting they, they cannot layer up as much that they have to be as you know as minimal as possible and then the question is how much does that affect them uh right. you know with uh on the course so I, there are a lot of factors to weigh here um and, and like you said we're, we're talking about cold but it's, it's it's pretty cold i think it was uh was it 20 below uh in this 20 Something below like Celsius. That. yeah the, yeah. Other, the yeah. other day so um these are these are chilly temperatures um so I, i'm very curious to see uh, especially when when they line up for those first races, who is wearing what? Um, and I think that'll that'll be at least for me, just from from an entertainment standpoint, uh, just to watch how how people uh, are are racing with the the different uh, levels of layering, so to speak. For sure. And uh, and one other thing, like I've noticed that uh, there's there's no one like Sven Fischer anymore who always shot without gloves on. Mm -hmm. And uh, but there's definitely some athletes that still use the little cap on their finger that they take off for the shooting to have that that good feel with the trigger. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if that's something that they would still be doing at at uh, you know minus eighteen, minus twenty. Oh, so uh, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, interesting to see how people adapt to that environment. And then and then the other thing is, and this is this is easier to to gauge. But anybody that's that's got a nagging injury uh, mm -hmm. is going to take a lot longer to warm up. So. Uh, and I'm not even sure, you know, how, how well they're going to be able to do that with the COVID restrictions that are in place. I don't know all the details, so that's not right. me, you know, making a critique or anything, but, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you've got a nagging injury, you can take, uh, up to an hour or two of warm up before the race, even to feel like you are, you know, you're adequately prepared to go. So, um, right. I, you know, I, a little bit cautious about anybody that's coming in. Not that I, I, I think parts of being the only major injury that we know of coming into the race, but, uh, I, I would be. A little bit hesitant to expect great things out of her this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm leaning towards that too. Shall we uh, move over to the stat of the week? Let's do it. Yodeling. The stat of the week. 
So uh, for the stat of the week, I would like to talk a little bit about ski speed and particularly about how it's measured and used. Um, when this podcast comes out, there will be an article on my site, biathlonanalytics.com, in which I go through the way ski speed is measured and how many different ways there are. And the goal of that article is uh, to have a clear measure and display unit of, of uh, ski speed in a way that is understandable for you know biathlon fans like Jordan and myself who watch it every morning and then get up early for it and then the occasional biathlon fans. Um, I also looked at the ability to aggregate it for a season or multiple seasons and the ability to normalize the different race for the different race distances. So obviously 10 seconds behind the leader on a uh, seven and a half kilometer track is uh, different than 15 kilometers, etc. So the article that I wrote goes a little bit, talks a little bit about the data that is, uh, that is used for ski speed, uh, talks a little bit about the course data issue in the sense of that we don't have, we have information about ski speed for um, the ski part of the track. So excluding the, uh, the penalty loop and the shooting area, the shooting range. But uh, we don't really have distance information for that. So uh, I talk a little bit about that. We talk about uh, absolute measures versus relative measures, the pros and cons, um, and then how this information can be communicated. Typically, we see tables on, for example, biathlon results uh, or charts. Um, but I think another important aspect of communication is descriptive communication. So how do people talk about uh, ski speed and, and the difference between athletes? And uh, yeah, for the conclusion of the article, I uh, encourage you to go to Biathlon Analytics and read more about it. So uh, do you want to just do a, a quick little discussion about, uh, you know, uh, the different ways that, you know, just picking a couple of them, uh, of ways that, uh, that, that you think are the most helpful ways of, of looking at uh, yeah, for oh, sure. Ski speed. Yeah, so so um, obviously you can express the the ski speed in. Let's start with the most obvious one: kilometers per hour or miles an hour for mm -hmm. uh, for those folks in in the United States. Um, but the you know when you're saying oh, uh, athlete A skis 22 kilometers an hour and athlete B skis 21.7 uh, kilometers an hour, that doesn't really give you much information about. Um, you know, those two athletes and, and how they performed in a race. Um, what the IBU uses um, in the data that they provide is the, the seconds behind the leader mm -hmm. at the finish line. Uh, but again, that's going to be very different for different distances that uh, that's going to be raced on. And what they've been doing lately in their on their biathlon app, uh, the IBU, is um, that they express ski speed in... I believe it's seconds behind the leader per kilometer. So they normalize the uh, the seconds behind from the leader to uh, to a distance that's uh, easier to to grasp, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, the other the other uh, variant on this is that you can meet, um, sorry, that you can measure in meters behind. So that gives a bit like seconds behind still kind of depends on how fast they're going, etc. Or meters behind is something you can very easily visualize. Um, you know, when, when somebody finishes three seconds behind or 10 meters behind, I think it's a little bit easier to, in your head, to visualize 10 meters behind. Um, the other main way of, of talking about ski speed is the uh, 
percent back and that can be percent back from the leader or it can be percent back from the uh, the average of the field or the top 30 etc and although i think it's a very interesting way to measure uh ski speed i think particularly for you know biathlon fans that are not diehard fans i think it's really hard to relate to and even the stats when you look at them and it says you know Johannes Tingis bow is is minus 2.7% of the field average. I I get to a point where well, what does that really mean? Because I don't know <laughs> if the fastest skier is minus 2.8% or if the fastest skier is minus 7%. Um so that's that's the issue I have with with the percentage measurement. Um and I don't want to, you know, give it all away, but um I I really try to look at uh, ski speed from a perspective of when I'm talking to somebody who just watches a race every now and then, how can mm-hmm. I explain and how can I make them easily visualize what the distance at a difference in ski speed means? So I will uh, give it away that uh, RJ shared it with me a couple days ago. So I got a chance to look through it and and then believe me when it gets up, I encourage you all to look at it too. This is a, uh, I think the conclusion is actually is pretty neat and there's some, some very cool visualization at the end there, but um you know, I agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of it, you know, is how do you, how do you explain, uh, how fast somebody is relative to somebody else? You know, and I always say that, like to my wife, she mm-hmm. is around when the races are on, but I wouldn't say she watches the races. She's aware that it's happening. Um, and so sometimes she'll, you know, she'll have questions. And the question is, you know, how, why is so-and-so faster? Like, you know, look how, look how much faster, you know, JT Bo is than, you know, whoever. Um, and so trying to explain to her, you know, uh, how much, you know, the, to, to, to really put it into numbers, how much faster she or he is, is, is a difficult thing to explain because, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's just, uh, it's, it can be sort of a, a nebulous concept when you're dealing with, uh, it, it, I'll put it this way. When you're dealing with a hundred meter dash, like it's easy to say, you know, oh, he's, you know, X, X, you know, meters faster, but, um, you know, it gets hard when you're dealing with, uh, like a, a a cross country style course, um, and, and looking at, at something like that. So anyway, I, like I said, I encourage everybody to go out to, to biathlonanalytics.com and, and take a look at this article because, um, it is, uh, it's definitely, I think it has a really, a really neat conclusion, um, uh, about, uh, the best ways to, to, to discuss ski speed. Excellent. And, and discusses exactly what I'm looking for. Like, I really hope that uh, if people take the time to read it, that uh, that we can have an interesting conversation on Twitter. I know that not everybody is uh, going to agree with my conclusion, but that's totally fine. And uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion. Well, that's the fun thing about, uh, you know, about this community, right? The biathlon community is that there are, obviously, we, we can look at the end of the day, we can look at who won the race and who lost the race, but there's so many discussions you can have about everything that happened in the race. And I feel like there are... Uh, you know, the, we talked about this at the, at the top, it's a community right. in which people are, are willing to and open to and wanting to hear, uh, new perspectives. And, um, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, this is a, a great conversation to have and, and I, I look forward to, to seeing it play out and probably jumping in myself. I look forward to that too. All right. I think, uh, this concludes episode one. So um, if you want to reach out to us, you can find biathlonanalytics.com uh, and you'll find all the links there. Unfortunately, Twitter wouldn't allow to use my full name there. So it's biathlonanalyt1 uh, on Twitter. And how about you, Jordan? Uh, you can find me at penaltyloop.com uh, for the website. And the Twitter handle is just that, just uh, penaltyloop. So 
Um, and uh, you can see uh, a beautiful picture of, of me and my wife right there. Uh, <laughs> that's there how you know go. it's us standing in, standing in, okay. uh, standing in Bergen. So, um, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today. I, uh, I appreciate uh, everybody who's taken the time to, to listen to us and, and, uh, bearing with us. And, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we look forward to, to sharing our thoughts with you and, and sharing the conversation with you as the season goes on. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the next episode, as we said, will be, uh, an unedited one after the first race, which is only a day away. So looking forward to uh, catch up with you then, Jordan. Sounds good. I'll talk to you then. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Hey. That was weird. I guess it just, uh, were we chatting for an hour or something? Yeah, we, we hit we hit 60 minutes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was chatting away about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you do it again? <laughs> uh, where, do you know where we cut off?